0: You can find more information, photos, and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahaven.com. Welcome to Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange with me, Arthur Parkinson, and Sarah Raven. On this episode, we have a guest. She's one of the UK's most prestigious florists. She fills venues with flower power, seasonal glamour from London and across the country. She could only be Melissa Richardson of Jamjar Flowers from her peacock yard in London.
1: Hello, Melissa. Hello. Very nice to hear you
2: both. Well, it's lovely to have you here. This whole episode, really, we, we, we just want to draw out <laughs> everything about you from where you started, uh, what your new favourite plants are, what are your favourite things to arrange with. But I'd lo- love, first of all, for Arthur and I to ask you about your kind of, how you got into flowers in the first place.
1: Well, I got into flowers by accident, really. I had run a model agency for 27 years and I decided that I wanted to stop doing that. I'd sort of run out of juice with that. But I thought I'd better do something so that I didn't go mad. And my initial idea was just to do flowers for offices on Monday mornings from my kitchen table. And I'm not quite sure how it escalated from there, but it did
2: very good well yeah that's uh, that's exactly how I started so we we, <laughs> we we share that in common but and and how did you come onto the idea of jam jar flowers i mean like it's you know it's such a sort of nice romantic image of how to use flowers isn't it
1: well i think at the time when i started which was 2009 the fashion for flowers seemed to be a lot of exotic flowers, a lot of tropical flowers uh, arranged in enormous martini glasses yes. with big balls of floral foam. And they were incredibly, I got, we kept going to weddings and thinking, oh, God, this is horrible. Yes. And when I I was chatting to a friend and she said to me, well, the nicest flowers are always the ones when you go for a walk and you pick some flowers and put them in a jam jar on the kitchen table. They're always the prettiest flowers. And that's what gave me the idea. I just thought I really wanted to go back to the seasonal flowers of my childhood. I grew up in a in a beautiful place, a beautiful garden. My father was an amazing gardener. And we also lived in Sussex, not far from where you are. And the the... Woods were just full of wildflowers in those days, and there was very little else to do, so we did a lot of flower picking and bringing them home.
2: Yeah, yeah. And
1: um, it made me happy. I I wanted to keep working with beauty, which in that way it's not very different from being a model agent, but I wanted to work with something that didn't answer back.
2: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> how many, how many staff do you employ now? <laughs> there's probably might well be a bit well,
1: knowing Arthur
2: and I working together, there's well, an awful lot of answering back.
1: <laughs> I, I just think that people who work in gardens, flowers are nicer people than in fashion and there's not so much pressure. But in fact, a lot of my clients are from the fashion world. And I think that's just because we speak the same sort of language, you know.
2: Yes, yes. That we did
1: mm. in, the, in the model business.
2: Exactly. So who are some of your clients? Will you, will you tell us about some of them and, and some of your sort of favorite installations, some of your most amazing sights and
1: extravaganzas? Well, I mean, curiously, my absolute favorite installation was um, being invited by the RHS to do the London Gate at Chelsea Flower Show, um, and by far the most frightening because I am a florist and although I'm a keen amateur garden in my 50-foot, square-foot London garden, you mm. know, to do something with living plants was absolutely terrifying. I was yeah. nearly sick with fear. But then when you pull something off like that and it really worked beautifully, I just felt so proud of myself. and So that was really fun they
0: really were beautiful i remember those gates and um, what i love about what you did with all the plants they all went to schools and groups didn't they in, in london they went
1: to a community garden round yes. here and i in fact i've been teaching there last summer in the brief moment when we were out of lockdown getting kids from tower blocks and everything round brixton and stockwell too teach them about flowers and there are beehives there and teaching them go down to the beehives and say mm-hmm. good morning Madam Queen and Noble Bees, to <laughs> before they started every day but you know I, I just think the reason why I love flowers is because I grew up with flowers and because my parents were always teaching me how to pick flowers only take one primrose from each group you know yeah mm. don't sort of rape the wild just take what you need and take it thoughtfully and I just think if kids learn about flowers and to appreciate their beauty at an early age I just think it's better for the planet all over you know.
0: I couldn't agree more and um, you're you're bringing increasingly I'm noticing more of a wildflower meadow sense into your arrangements Mm -hmm. Melissa is that something that you're noticing is becoming trendy or are you having to still say to your clients, "All, oh, let's try a fritillary? Or are people asking for these wildflowers when, when you take on a clients?
1: A lot of people call things meadows and they're not meadow mm. flowers at all. <laughs> Garden flowers. But what I think is that our style changes a lot on which florists are working with me because I like to embrace the skills of the people who are working with me. And at the moment, my head florist Talina has a very definite style, which I adore, and that's why mm. she's my head florist. But you know, I like to give her her head to design stuff, and and not be always hovering over it. But it still has to keep that kind of jam jar look, and it has to look seasonal. And obviously, we're all trying to use more English flowers. All the time, but it's not always possible. But you know, at least if they're seasonal, you feel they may have only been grown seven hours away rather than huge plane flights away. You
0: know, mm. so M- Melissa, the the title of your florist business says it all jam jar flowers, and that of course means flowers in water. How hard has it been to go from oasis, which we now all know is the worst thing for the environment, to just flowers? In beautiful vases in water, do you still get clients saying, Oh, I don't want a vase? Is it is it an easy thing to convince people that flowers belong in water?
1: I never used Oasis if I could mm. possibly avoid it, because it always felt wrong to me. Not that I knew anything, but it just did, I didn't like the way the flowers acted in Oasis. It felt like it was stiffening them up and not allowing the natural flow of flowers. But I was really horrified when I heard how bad it was for the environment. I would say, curiously, it hasn't really been any more difficult. And I find the flowers, like big arches and things like that, which we used to make with Oasis, actually it's a bit more work, but they have a more beautiful action Mm. if they're in water and rocket launchers and buckets and that sort of thing. Um, It's just covering up the workings that are more difficult. And the only thing I honestly think is really difficult are funerals. I think just having water and coffins is is really difficult. And I haven't worked that out. And I know, you know, some of my f- fellow florists say, oh, it's fine, you can do it with yogurt pots. But no, it's I've hard. never seen a coffin lifted up really carefully. And
0: yes, I, I totally agree. It's mm. just hard. Mm.
1: That is really hard. And so I'm trying to persuade people to go back to having a beautiful big hand tie. You know, I did a a funeral just the other day with just masses of pear blossom and it was so beautiful Mm. so you know but there are other ways but people have got very used to those grand oasis arrangements on top of coffins and I think we've got a long way to go with that
2: Mm, it's true will you just talk us through so say you were doing a flower arch now without oasis which of course none of us are going to use as Arthur said as you've both said but if you are doing an arch around a door in a church how would you do the mechanics without any
1: oasis well we'd have buckets of water at the bottom of the arch from which we put long branches and things in and then I mean we did an enormous one at Badminton House a couple of years ago and then I actually got a carpenter to build me a thing where I could have buckets sort of staged up the arch and then there are these rocket launchers look like rocket launchers which um you can stick the flowers into and some foliage will hold given that it's a wedding it's only got to last A short time, and then we use reusable plastic tubes with a little rubber top, which you can, um, oh, yeah, which will hold again for a day. So there's a lot of reusable stuff. It probably is still plastic, but it's not just cut, you know, throw away. We use them again and again,
2: yeah, yeah. And if you were doing a wedding in May, which is. You know, right now, what would be your absolute favourite? Maybe sort of five flowers that would just be absolute must-haves
1: for your flower order. Well, I think because May is peony time, I would be very sad not to use peonies because it's such a short season, really. And I don't like the Sarah Bernhardt, which does seem to plug on for ages, but Mm. it's not my favourite peony. But the ones that I love, like. Coral charm, and what's my favorite command performance that yeah. changes so much, you know, so you can get all those subtle colors. So I love using um, that. I love in May using Spirea and things like Dicentra, Bleeding Hearts, and, yes. you know, that very romantic garden, early garden flowers. May's probably my favorite month, but it's very difficult for foliage. Yes. Uh, because the foliage is so soft. So floppy. And yeah, and it, the minute a bit of foliage begins to go over, the whole thing can be destroyed mm. with one dead-looking bit of foliage sticking out the top or something. So you have to be very, very careful with, with foliage. But with a bit of luck, you get the late malice and the late blossom. Yes. Which is gorgeous always in a, in an arch or a church doorway or whatever.
2: And are you mainly buying your flowers? Are you growing them? Are you going to the market? Or are you working with growers in the UK? Or?
1: So a bit of everything. I mean, for, for the flower uh, with pressing, which we do a lot of, I, I've just redone my garden to really grow stuff for pressing. Have you? And I get nearly all my pressing, not all of them, but a lot of my pressings out of the garden.
2: Can we come back to that? Because that's another
1: whole Please. subject. Yeah. So in terms of our flower events, we do buy from English growers as much as we can. I mean, I've got some of my ex-freelance florists who've gone into growing flowers and I, I love to support them. And there are a lot of British flowers around and they're always the most beautiful when mm-hmm. they come in. It's all You can always tell which ones have been grown locally. Yeah. But I also do use the market and there's a sort of almost bullying thing now if it isn't British you know you shouldn't be using it. But actually we don't grow enough flowers in England to satisfy all the florists. Mm. No. And I think if you if you're working seasonally those Dutch lorries that come in have a huge amount of flowers on them. So I think the carbon footprint is almost probably less than trundling up in a Stinky old diesel van from the Silly Isles or somewhere. I mean, I I think we just have to have some balance. And also, the market's been so good to me. So I'll never stop using the market. And people like Zest Flowers at the market have a great English selection. I like being able to touch and look at the flowers before I buy. When we were during lockdown, we had to kind of click and collect or send an email and collect or or a WhatsApp or something. And, you know, quite often the flowers that came in weren't quite the colour and the thing that you wanted, whereas if you're in the market, you can look at everything and make your selection. And I love lining them up on a shelf and looking through the whole colour range. You know, that's one of the great pleasures.
2: Yes, yeah, yeah.
1: And so I don't, I don't think I'll ever stop using the market, but I do try to buy things that have been grown in Europe and not in Japan.
2: Yeah. So what day, if you had an event on a Saturday, what day would you get your main flowers coming in either from the market or whatever? And will you just explain the process from literally buying the flower or getting the flower from the grower to actually
1: having it in the installation? So for English flowers, we tend to take what they say they've got that's the best. So we use a company run by... An ex-florist of mine called SSAW and Wolves Lane Flower Company, who grow them in North London rather marvellously. But we just take the buckets that they send us. So that doesn't give us very much control over what we receive. From the market, we'll order, we need to order sort of three days in advance, is ideal. If I was using peonies from the market, I've learnt the hard way, you know, buy them. On the Tuesday for a Saturday wedding, if you want them to be out, I mean, you know, I have done weddings in my early days with hundreds of coral charms, like little bullets. Yes, you know, yes, mm. we've all done that, and with lilies. So you know that again is a le- That's a quite a strict learning curve of buying flowers and seeing, you know, are they about to pop or are they still clenched like clenched fists? You know, mm. and with there's a lot of rushing buckets out into the sun or Plunging ice into the water to stop them going too far. And then things like sweet peas and things like that will get the day before because they don't hang around for too long. Yeah. I mean, we probably would make for a big wedding. We'd probably have two deliveries from the market, the flowers that need to be bought on, like roses, always so much better if they're bought on Mm. in the studio and the quickly over ones that we uh, buy on the day before.
2: And I mean, I know, as as you've already mentioned this, you've been moving increasingly into pressed flowers. And I was brought up by a father who was actually a, a botanist and used to collect stuff to go to the herbarium in Kew. And so I have a great sort of a real affection uh, and passion for pressed flowers and I love the fact that all these herbarians have become so incredibly trendy I think largely driven by you probably Melissa but will you talk us through that whole process and and how you got into doing that and and the whole you know how you actually do it effectively what are the right sort of flowers and you know because it's something that I think more and more people with with the rise of craft more and more people are really keen on it aren't they?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's fascinating how a sort of fusty Victorian uh, craft has seemed to have turned into something that's quite modern and relevant. And I think the minute you cut a flower, it's already dying. By pressing it, you've halted the process to a a certain extent. And although the flower does continue to lose colour over time, it never really loses its beauty. It's sort of something you have to accept. It's going to change very slowly over time. But as you say, that some of the herbarium flowers, you know, flowers pressed by Joseph Banks and his team are still stunning to look at today. And that just fascinates me. But we've started, we got a job from Mulberry, the fashion label, to do a fashion show invitation with them, and they they bought hundreds of observer books of wildflowers, and they had uh, fabrics that had things like Ami and love in a mist and delphiniums on in the fabric. So we went, and they the idea was to slip some of these pressed flowers into the book, and then it was all very beautifully done little package with pressed flowers on top and they had stamps in the flowers of the fabric so it was a really nice project and we went to Marlborough and I thought how difficult can this be of course we can do it and then we went away and we had to press something like 3,000 flowers and of course they hadn't given us enough time you know they wanted it in 10 days and it was quite stressful because Mm. you get a lot of you know, you do have a lot of failure in pressed flowers,
0: you know. That. Yes, I've noticed that. For every 10 <laughs> you press, you get one star and the rest are kind of a bit okay. Yeah, but, like yeah. they're
1: okay, but...
0: Yeah, but they're not fabulous.
1: But things like delphiniums, you know, if you cut off all the florets and press them individually, that's you. That's a pretty certain that, mm. that that's not going to go wrong. But we had a terrible problem where I'd ordered masses of Ami Majors and we suddenly got Ami Visnaga, which is doesn't press at all well and also became enormous, far too big for the once it's flattened out for the Observer Book of Wildflowers. So it, it was pretty stressful. Mm. But in the end, it looked so beautiful. And I just thought, gosh, this is it's got so much potential. Mm. Pressing flowers. And I just we just became, Amy and I just became rather obsessed with it. And started to learn more about it. And now, um, I'm actually writing a book about pressing flowers. Oh, oh, are you? Yeah, it just, you know, it's become a proper obsession. Um, mm. And we've gone, you know, nuts with pressed flowers. So it started off, you know, just doing a few little things to slip inside a, an invitation for Mulberry. And we ended up turning the front of a Georgian building in Mayfair into a Rajasthani palace completely with, with pressed and dried flowers, which was um, nuts, really. And then we made some sort of William Morris-inspired stained-glass windows, but in fact they were flowers pressed between two pieces of perspex, 12 Mm. feet high. And they looked so beautiful. And I just feel like there's a moment when pressing flowers stops being a craft and becomes an art, and the way you do it. And I'm really excited by that so we're doing an exhibition uh this summer it's going to run from june to september at a place in the cotswolds called time where they have uh, it's a beautiful place and they have wonderful water meadows there and we're picking from there and pressing from there and that's something and we love to do where we reflect what's going on outside and then create artworks that that reflect the garden and it's it's something we've done before. but I think it is going to be super beautiful, I'm hoping anyway.
0: Yeah, and a, a beautiful place to do it.
1: Will
2: you come to Perch Hill at some point and do the I'd same? I'd
1: love to come and press from Perch Hill, actually. It would be so fun. Oh. Um, we can we could stick flowers all over your downstairs loo or something.
2: That would be so nice. That would be so nice.
0: That would be lovely. Melissa, I wanted to ask you if you were to go to a, a desert island with packets of seed for pressing. What would those flowers be? You know your your top five for pressing, and that you that are very close to your heart. What would they be?
1: God, Arthur, that's such a difficult question because my taste changes as the season yes. go on. So, you know, if it had been a month ago, I would have said hellebores, but I'm bored to death of them now. The best flowers for pressing are the ones that the wild flowers, the almost weeds. You know, poppies, mm. cornflowers, nigella amy, just the delicate buttercups. Buttercups press beautifully, hold their color for ages. And then if mm. one was going a bit um, more floristy, you know, I'd take a butterfly ranunculus, which has the same iridescent quality as a buttercup.
2: And just to um, wrap up, I mean, we normally do a food recipe on the podcast, but I'd love to change it around this time and for you to just talk us through literally the steps of pressing, how long it takes, what sort of blotting paper you need, and, and really think of the pressing of the flowers as our recipe of this week.
1: Okay, well, first thing to do is to get a flower press. Um, you can press them with heavy books, which is how the old flower pressers did. Joseph Banks pressed all his flowers in a copy of Paradise Lost. Um, <laughs> But um, what I like to do, uh, we have a a flower press, and we sell a very nice one at Jam Jar Edit. And then you have a, a sandwich, really. So it goes card, blotting paper, the more absorbent blotting paper you can get, the better. Then the flower, then more blotting paper, and then card. And the idea is to get the moisture out of the flower as quickly as possible before it starts to rot or die. And get it completely dry. And so if it's something like a buttercup or herb Roberts or love in a mist or something, you probably can just leave it for 10 days, open the press and there you'll have a result. So those are good things to start with. All ferns make lovely, easy, simple pressings. If you're doing more elaborate flowers like tulips, which I've been having a a really um, good go at they're much more complicated you're much more likely to get rotting because they're very juicy and Mm. so you need to open the press every three or four days change the blotting paper or move the flower around so that you um, don't let that rot set in and then once you've got your sandwich layers of blotting paper card and flowers as many as you can get into your press probably about 20 pages of flowers, you screw the lid down and then resist temptation to look at it for a week and then check. And then at the end of the week, you may find some are already pressed, like a little pansy or something will be already pressed. But the bigger flowers, you may, as I say, have to change the blotting paper. And then once you've got them out, I archive them in black boxes, keep them out of the sun until I'm ready to make them into artworks. And would you use any like fixative spray or anything or just leave it at that? Uh, Well, we use actually, having tried a million elaborate glues like Japanese rice glue and that sort of thing, we actually use a craft glue called Mod Podge, which is a child's glue really, but it's very, very delicate. When you're gluing flowers down, with most flowers you glue the back of the flower and then press it down. And what we normally do is we we work out the composition and then they put little, this is not me, by the way, this is India, and Amy. put little pins in so that they get it back into the right place. Mm. But if it's something like a poppy, which is so tender and easily falls apart, we will put the glue on the paper and then gently press the poppy leaf down onto it. Right, right. What you don't want is them falling apart. Yeah.
2: That's so marvelous, Melissa. Thank you so much. I've learnt tons, and I'm sure Arthur's often sent me cards of the most beautiful pressed flowers. So, well, Arthur
1: sent me the tiger's eye, the
0: tiger's eye, yes, pansies, I which yeah. are
1: my favourite thing ever. I've never no. used them, Arthur. I've just kept them for myself.
0: Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> I must mention your window of vases, the Melissa Studio. The most incredible window of vases like a rainbow so it's worth walking past if you're in that part of london it really will make you smile
2: yeah elephant and castle Mm -hmm. you've got to take a little diversion to peacock yard
0: thanks for listening to this episode of grow cook eat arrange you can find more information about what we've been talking about today in the show notes on our website on the next episode we're going to be talking about sweet peas potatoes and also potato trials which involve growing potatoes in the most beautiful wicker baskets here at Perch Hill. You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sirovin.com.